This is the Homestead Journey Podcast, the podcast dedicated to the pursuit of self-sufficiency, self-reliance, and sustainability. Welcome back to another episode of the Homestead Journey Podcast. This is episode number 140. My name is Brian Wells. I am coming to you from 3B Farm and Homestead here in beautiful upstate New York. And on today's episode, we are going to be talking about food preservation techniques and when to use them. But before we get into that, I did want to start by offering my sincerest apologies for those of you who caught an ad at a very inopportune time last week. On last week's episode, I talked about a boy from our church. He's eight, he was eight years old. His name was Cyrus, who died in a, a farming accident. And unfortunately, it was at that spot where my podcast host decided that it would be a great place to place an ad. Certainly not anything that I did with any kind of intent, and it's not anything that my podcasting host did wrong. It's all based on an algorithm. Unfortunately, I don't have control over where ads are placed. And beyond that, I also don't have the ability to keep an ad from running on a particular episode. Either ads are on or ads are off. So what I have decided to do is to disable ads on the podcast for the time being. Now. Certainly, uh, and I'm not crying the blues on this, um, but that certainly does cause some financial impact to me. Finally, the podcast was starting to uh, to pay for itself. So I'm certainly not begging for this, but I do want to throw this out there. If you are interested in helping me offset some of the costs, you can do so by going to patreon.com slash the homestead journey and either sign up as a monthly member uh, or you can just do a one-time donation, and I would greatly appreciate it. But certainly, I didn't want anybody to think that I was trying to profit off of a tragedy like that. Um, it, it was totally inadvertent, and once I was notified of it, I went ahead and disabled ads. I reached out to my podcast host to see if there was anything that they could do. Right now, they just don't have the tools in place whereby I can disable ads on a particular episode. They have added that to the roadmap, but I'm not quite sure how soon that will will come about. And so anyhow, I just wanted to let you guys know that. And if you were someone who heard that ad at the inopportune time, again, my greatest and sincerest apologies. All right. All of that said, let's jump on over to this week's Homestead Happenings, and I will bring you up to speed with what we've been doing here on 3B Farm and Homestead. I did not get anywhere near as much done this week as I had hoped. Brian Jr. was away at Boy Scout camp this week, and so my thought was, boy, I'm, I'm going to have a lot of extra time this week to really be able to get caught up on the homestead. And that did not happen. A big part of my recent efforts have been on the new farm truck. So as I mentioned last week, the new farm truck has arrived. I was missing a part. That part 
arrived on Monday. I installed that part, which fixed the problem that I had. And then I went ahead and completed the coolant change as well as doing an oil change on the truck. After replacing the sensor and completing the fluid changes, I did take the truck up the road to my buddy Mark's house. Now, you may remember Mark was on the podcast episode with Chad back, I believe it was in February, as I began the search for a farm truck, and I wanted to get his opinion on what I had purchased. And so he looked it over, and overall, he was very, very impressed with how solid it is, and he feels like I made a good purchase. A few of his recommendations and also Chad's recommendations were to go through and do a general tune-up on the vehicle. They recommended that I do plugs and wires, new distributor, rotor, and Mark also noticed that the valve covers were leaking and suggested that I should replace those. In order to replace the valve cover gaskets, I'm also going to have to take off the intake manifold, and so there's a gasket there that I'm going to have to replace. And one of the other things that we did notice is that the exhaust manifolds are cracked. And so eventually they're going to need to be replaced, although Mark didn't feel like that was something that needed to be handled right now. But one of the other things that I had noticed on the truck when I was driving it back from Chad's when I picked it up a couple of weeks ago is that when the truck warms up, there's a bit of a whine, I'll call it, that develops. And it's really noticeable when you are shifting gears. What we think it may be is what is referred to as a smog pump or an air pump, which is part of an early emission system on the F-250. And so I do need to do some diagnostics on that. But I did go ahead and place an order this week for the plugs and wires, distributor rotor, valve cover gaskets, and the intake manifold gasket. And I am going to attack all of that, attempt all of that on my own or, well, with the help of Brian Jr. He's very excited to give me a hand on this because he is very interested in learning mechanics. It's something that I don't enjoy. I've told you this before, folks. I do not enjoy turning wrenches, but I have decided that on this truck, I am going to do as much of the wrenching on it as I possibly can. I do think that the exhaust manifold issue is probably going to be outside of what I want to tackle. I'm probably going to have somebody else do that for me, but plugs and wires not hard. Distributor, rotor, not hard. Valve cover, gaskets, intake manifold, moving that out of the way. That's a little bit above and beyond what I'm comfortable with. It's moving me outside of my comfort zone, but I'm definitely going to take a crack at it and I will keep you up to date as I work my way through it. On to a few other things that took place here on the homestead this week. One thing is something that's a bit of a bummer, and that is that I went to schedule the inspection for our pigs to take them to the fair, only to realize that I was two days late and a dollar short. Our fair requires a rabies vaccine for pigs. Now, to be frank, that's really dumb. And the reason why it's really dumb is because there is no proven effective vaccine for rabies in pigs. But it is a rule that our fair has. It's a rule that I was aware of. And so in that regard, I missed the date. I actually called on Wednesday to set up the inspection 
And they said, are the pigs older than four months of age? And I said, oh, yes, they are. Well, this had to be done as of Monday. Bummer. I actually thought that I had one more week. And I thought I was a few days ahead of the deadline. But, in fact, I was two days late. And so, unfortunately, this year, we will not be showing pigs at our county fair. To be frank, I was not all that heartbroken over it from the standpoint of it takes a lot of pressure off of us. The decorations, the setup, and then having to be there all day long, all week long, until the fair closes every night. And then before the fair opens every morning, you have to be back and clean the stalls and set everything up. And it is a lot of work. I'm not going to miss that. I'll just be honest with you. That really does make for a very, very long week. I enjoy talking to people about the pigs. It's always fun to watch kids with the pigs, but it does make for a very, very long, stressful week. So that piece of it didn't really break my heart, but it was very disappointing to me because this more than likely is Brian Jay's last year to show at our fair, at least at the youth level. And so this more than likely was going to be his last opportunity to show pigs and I screwed it up. So that was a bummer, but it is what it is. And so we move on. I am looking forward to the fair and I am very, very thankful that I did not screw up the poultry entries because that is Brian Jay's first love. So he will still be able to show his chickens and the geese and so forth. But I did feel bad that I messed up the pigs. Let me also provide you with a garden update. Our garden is not producing as well as I would have liked. I would say this probably has been my worst garden ever. But we are getting some produce and we are getting enough to be able to go ahead and preserve the harvest. And so this week we canned up some more beans. We've also enjoyed eating some of the garden produce. Actually got to eat broccoli Romanesco for the first time. Now, if you're not familiar with broccoli Romanesco, it's a different looking broccoli. It actually kind of has a spiral look to it, if that makes any sense. Look it up. It's very, very pretty. But if I'm being honest, from a flavor perspective, it was okay, but I would rather regular broccoli. And so probably I'm not going to grow broccoli Romanesco again. It was good, not great, didn't blow my mind, looks pretty. I don't know whether or not it will send off the side shoots like other varieties of broccoli have a tendency to do. But I do think that the green magic variety that we've been growing, and there's another one, I think maybe it's super green or something like that. I think they have a better overall flavor. And so if I'm going to grow broccoli, I will probably grow that. Today for lunch, we enjoyed our first roasted root vegetable medley of the season. I'll say that five times fast. <laughs> but it was a combination of beets, carrots, turnips, and rutabagas. I did also harvest all of our onions. I will be drying those. The bulbs aren't as big as what I would have liked, but they still are fairly good sized. And overall, I'm not too horribly disappointed in the harvest there. 
I also harvested some dry beans. Our pinto beans as well as our Jacob's cattle beans were ready to be harvested. I harvested the entire plants. I will hang them upside down and let them continue to dry, but I didn't want to leave them out in the garden because the wind and the rain is just going to cause the pods to open up and the beans will fall out on the ground and I'm going to lose the harvest. So I brought them down. I will hang them up in the garage, let them continue to dry out, and then we will harvest them. I will tell you this much. I think this is the last year that I am going to grow bush bean varieties of any type, whether they are dry beans or just snap green beans. The pole bean varieties just take up so much less space, are so much more productive, and I would rather use the garden space where I've been growing the bush beans for other things. And so my guess is this is probably the last year that I grow the bush bean varieties of any type. The last thing I wanted to share with you is today was our corn harvest day. Now we did not grow this corn. For the amount of corn that my parents and I want to preserve, we just don't have the garden space to do that. But there is a local family that grows a lot of corn and they sell the corn and then they're saving that money to invest in their children's college fund. And so we like supporting them. So we buy 150, 170 ears from them every year and we go ahead and process it and put it in the freezer. And so today was the day my mom and dad came down for lunch and then we spent the afternoon doing up the corn put it in freezer bags, popping it in the freezer, and we will have enough corn really to probably last us the entire year. Folks, if you have never frozen sweet corn, I really challenge you to try it because to me, it can't be beat. It really can't be beat except to eat it fresh off the cob. Fresh off the cob certainly is the best way to have sweet corn, but second best is to cut it off the cob and to freeze it. It is so delicious and so much better than anything that you will ever buy at the store. It is just mm, so good. I don't care for canned corn, so that's why we don't can it. But blanched, cut off the cob, put in bags, and frozen. Mm, it is delicious. And so I was so happy that we got to do that today. And it's a lot of fun doing that with my mom and dad, spending the afternoon together, telling stories walking down memory lane, talking about when I was a kid, going to my grandparents' house and doing up corn. Just It's just a great time. And so it was just a lot of fun to do that today and so glad that we have all of that in the freezer. The last thing I wanted to share with you is that this week I did have the opportunity to interview with Troy McClung over on the Pastured Pig podcast along with Jack Polner as we talked about some of the challenges of raising pigs in the Northeast. And we also shared with Troy's audience about Hone 2022. So that podcast episode should be released, I think, this week or in the next couple of weeks. So definitely check that out. If you're into piggery at all, definitely Troy's podcast is a great resource. He talks to so many people within pastured pigdom and has so many great guests on there, but it was also a joy to be able to 
chat with Jack and Troy about pigs and about home 2022. If you're someone who lives in the Northeast, keep home 2022 in mind. September 10th and 11th in Greenfield, New Hampshire, we're going to have a gathering of homesteaders from all across New England. We have a great list of speakers lined up. It's only $25 for the entire weekend. So check that out. If you haven't already, mindfulhomestead.com slash hone 2022. Mindfulhomestead.com slash hone, H-O-N as a Nancy E 2022 for information and for you to be able to buy your tickets. All right, let's jump on over to this week's Charting the Course. So as we were working together today to put up the corn and get it into the freezer, I got to thinking about my topic for this week's podcast. And I thought, you know, it's been a while since we've talked about food preservation here on the podcast. And so today what we're going to do is just talk about the different ways that you can preserve the harvest. We're going to talk about them from what I would consider easiest to most difficult. And we're also going to talk about the three things that you should consider when determining how you are going to preserve your harvest. So there really are five major ways that you can preserve your harvest. The first is to freeze it. The second is to dehydrate it. The third is to ferment it. The fourth is to can it. And finally, you can freeze dry it. That list, in my opinion, is kind of from easiest to hardest. And when I'm talking about easiest to hardest, I'm not necessarily just talking about the level of effort or the complication of the process, but I'm also factoring in the cost components to be able to preserve your harvest in that manner. As you work your way up through that list, the amount of specialized equipment required becomes more and more and becomes more and more expensive. So if you are someone who is brand new to growing a garden and brand new to preserving the harvest, one of the first places you may want to start is by freezing it. Freezing the harvest is something that does not require any kind of specialized equipment. Most people already have a freezer in their refrigerator. And so with some Ziploc bags in the freezer you already have, you can get started preserving your harvest. Now, certainly there is gear that you can buy that will make your life a little bit easier. For example, a food saver. But you certainly can preserve things in the freezer without a food saver, without any kind of specialized equipment whatsoever, as long as you follow the proper steps. The next method of preserving vegetables would be dehydrating them. Now, you can go out and buy a dehydrator. There are ones that can be had for under $100. There are some that can be had that cost a couple hundred dollars. But you don't have to have a dehydrator to dehydrate things. You can dehydrate things using solar power, or you can just let things stay on the plant and allow them to naturally dehydrate themselves. As I mentioned before, that's what I'm doing with some of my beans. They had already started to dry out out in the garden. I've gone ahead and pulled the entire plant 
and I will let them hang in an area where there's good airflow and allow that natural process of dehydrating to take place. And then those beans will store for a very, very long time. Certainly, using a dehydrator, whether you're using a solar power or an electric powered dehydrator, will speed up that process. And it will also allow you to dehydrate things that maybe don't normally naturally dehydrate themselves like beans would. So for example, zucchini is not something that would naturally dehydrate. If you allow a zucchini to sit around long enough, it's going to rot. But if you have a dehydrator of some sort, then you can use heat to go ahead and dry that zucchini out and preserve it to be used later on. The third method of food preservation is fermentation. Just like freezing and dehydrating, you can buy specialized equipment for fermentation, like fermentation crocks or pickle pipes, as they might be called, that go on top of mason jars that, or airlock systems. But you don't have to have those kinds of things. If you have a clean jar, a head of cabbage, and some salt and water, you can make sauerkraut and preserve cabbage very, very easily. There are a lot of things that you can ferment that way. You can ferment beans. You can ferment cucumbers. You can ferment apple scraps into apple scrap vinegar. There are so many things that you can ferment to preserve the harvest. And in many cases, you can do it with things that you already have on hand and not buy a lot of specialized equipment. Now, the specialized equipment is certainly going to make your life easier, and it's going to maybe foolproof the process a little bit more, but it is not required. And so it is a great entry-level way to get into food preservation. The fourth method is canning. There really are three methods of canning. One is water bath canning. The second is steam canning, and the third is pressure canning. Now, I've never steam canned, so I'm not going to talk at all about that. But water bath canning and pressure canning are certainly viable options for preserving the harvest, provided that you choose the right method for the food that you are preserving. Anything that would be considered high acid food can generally be water bath canned. Anything that would be low acid food, generally speaking, should be pressure canned. And this is where you start getting into more specialized equipment and more expensive equipment. Water bath canning can be done in a stock pot. If you have a large enough stock pot and you can put a base in it so that the jars aren't sitting directly on the bottom of your pot, you can hot water bath can. So things like jams, jellies, pickles, all of that can be done without buying any kind of specialized equipment. If you're going to get into canning low acid things, then at that point, investing in a pressure canner would be a good idea. A pressure canner can cost you 60, 75 bucks. It can cost you a couple of hundred bucks, depending on the type and style and size of pressure canner that you buy. Certainly buying jars, lids, those kinds of things, that's all going to cost you some money. The more often you use those things and you use them over and over again, certainly the cost of using them does go down, but there certainly is an expense up front when you get into canning. The last way that you can preserve vegetables is freeze drying your harvest 
Now, I don't have a freeze dryer, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking about this, but I did take a quick look at a few options as far as home freeze dryers, and they are not cheap. By far and away, they are the most significant investment in food preservation technology that you will have. And so that's why I have it last on the list. So when you have these five different methods available to you, how do you know which method you should use to preserve your harvest? In my opinion, there are really three driving factors that are going to help you determine how you should preserve your harvest. The first is what equipment do you have? Now, I can tell you the best way to preserve corn is to freeze dry it. But if you don't have a freeze dryer, what's the point? So you can only do with what you have or what you're willing to invest in. So that's going to be your first driving factor. Now, keep in mind that corn is a low acid fruit. So if I were to tell you you should can corn and all you have is a stock pot or a hot water bath canner, then that's not going to get you anywhere either. So what you have at your disposal is certainly going to drive your decision-making process. But let's say you have everything available to you. You have freezers, you have a dehydrator, you have fermentation crocks, you have all kinds of different canners, and you have a freeze dryer. So how are you going to decide out of those five methods which way you're going to preserve this harvest? Well, the second thing I would say is, how do you like to eat that vegetable? How do you like to enjoy that harvest? The reason why we freeze corn instead of canning it is because I don't really care for canned corn. That's the same reason why we freeze peas. I don't like canned peas. And so it really boils down to what do you like? The final thing you need to keep in mind is how are you going to use this harvest? Dehydration is great for vegetables that you might use in soups and stews and things like that. But if you want to enjoy corn as a side dish some evening for supper, then drying the corn and trying to rehydrate it is probably not going to lead to the best side dish you've ever had. Freezing it would be more appropriate, or even canning it would be more appropriate than dehydrating it. On the other hand, if you want to throw your corn into soup, then dehydrating it probably is not going to be a bad thing because putting it in the soup will rehydrate it and it's going to be fine. So how you plan on using the harvest also will help you understand what food preservation method you should use. So hopefully you found this helpful. If you have any questions or comments, you could reach out to me, Brian at thehomesteadjourney.net. I'd be more than happy to help you out. I am someone who does a lot of freezing, dehydrating, and canning. We do some fermentation. Don't freeze dry at all, so I can't really help you out in that area. But if you have any other questions with regards to the other four major methods of food preservation, let me know, and I will be more than happy to help you out. Until next time, everybody, keep up the good work.